Good morning, guys. My name is um, Harry, if you don't know me. Uh, thanks for having me, my family, uh, back to worship with you guys this morning. When I was uh, thinking about what to preach about, um, the last time I preached was with you guys, and so it's uh, it's been kind of nice resting uh, from church and ministry, and not that we haven't been going to church, but just from um, just being able to go to church on Sundays and showing up, and uh, it's been good to just to rest and I know a lot of us need that as well. And so for those that have been faithfully serving, um, you guys are amazing. Uh, even if you haven't been serving, you guys are amazing still. Uh, but it's been good. It's been, it's been a, a restful and healing season. And yet I find myself, um, to be in a, it's kind of this weird place. And, um, and so this passage of sorrowful, yet always rejoicing has always spoke to me. And we'll talk a, a bit about that today. I think about the season that you guys are in, I think about the season that I am in, and I think about the season that many friends are in, and I came to this thought and this question. You know, life gives us so many curveballs that we're not always ready for, we get blindsided by, and while there are a lot of positive, positive things in life, there's also a lot of sorrow, there's a lot of discouragement. How are we supposed to find peace and joy in the middle of misery? Do we just be less sensitive and suck it up like I've been told many times? And I preached here with you guys, you know, a few months ago on Psalm 42 is a song of the men. And we learned from the psalmist that we can be open and honest with our grief, with our feelings of sorrow and despair, right? We can cry out to God in our pain. We can be honest. But then what? What's after that? Do we just continue to sulk and wallow in our tears? How do we get better how do we move forward? What do we do? And so in many ways, the theme today is similar to the last time I preached. But today, I want to be a little bit more encouraging uh, to encourage you guys even further in the season of your church, of your ministry, and your individual lives here at IGC. I want us to be able to see that all of this stuff that we go through, it's normal on the side of heaven. Right? It doesn't make it right. Normal doesn't mean right. But like the Apostle Paul and ultimately Jesus, we can all learn to be acquainted with sorrow and grief and yet still rejoice. So let's hear from the Word of God and see what he has for us this morning. Thanks, Elaine, for reading the passage for us. Our three points, life as a witness, life as a paradox, and life as a child of God. To give context to our Bible passage this morning, uh, let's start with an overview of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. So the Apostle Paul, he's this missionary, he's a preacher, he's evangelist, he's a church planner, and he helped plant this church in Corinth way back in the early days. But sometime after that, he moves on from Corinth. And as he does so, he gets word. He hears this report that things are not so well in this church in Corinth. Apparently, many people in the Corinthian church rejected Paul's teaching altogether because of his life, his life of poverty, persecution, and uh, suffering, the people in that church could not believe that any leader could be so weak. It's like, like how even in our day, both in the church or in any of our organizations, we're all naturally drawn towards leaders that are the best speakers, the leaders that are go-getters, they're charismatic, the leaders that are well put together, they're well off. And for anybody that is lesser or weaker, right, we tend to shy away from and Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You guys completely miss the idea of the gospel. 
and how even the ministry of Jesus was marked with poverty, persecution, weakness, and suffering. The kingdom of God is a countercultural, upside-down kingdom. He's saying, don't throw my message away just because I'm suffering. Don't receive this message of, of the gospel in vain. So in verse 1, he says, working together with him, with Jesus then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So people rejected Paul as a leader. They rejected his message. And he's pleading to the Corinthian church that he loves so much to not give up the good news. He goes on, he says in verse 3 and 4, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. He's making a case for the gospel work in his message and in his life. He's saying, if there's any obstacle in people's way from hearing the gospel, I want to remove that. And he shows this through his words and through his actions. In our second point, we'll talk a little bit about um, his characteristics and traits of his um, life and his ministry. For this first point, I want us to see this. The Apostle Paul, he lived a life of witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, even when others rejected him, even when he was suffering. Right? He loved and lived boldly for Jesus, and he wanted to do whatever he could to remove hindrances from people hearing this gospel. He lived life as a witness, as a servant of God, as he says. And he wanted the same for us, the church. Uh, about a year ago, I um, was talking about my hobbies that Wade wants me to talk about. About a year ago, I got into reptiles, more specifically geckos, more specifically crested geckos. Alexa, my 13-year-old, she's always loved animals. Three years ago, she got this corn snake. And uh, she was really interested and excited about these um, these animals and geckos. And so, you know, like I, I, I love that about her, that she was into these weird niche hobbies. And, and so one day after church, uh, over a year ago, we went to uh, the reptile room uh, nearby, and I bought this crested gecko uh, for um, for Alexa and Max and the kids. Fast forward a few months later from that day, I've collected several more geckos, and I even started a weekly podcast with somebody I became really good friends. Um, his name is AJ. He lives in North Carolina. And um, we had this kind of podcast, weekly podcast, where it's like Joe Rogan style, you know, an hour and a half to two hours. We just talk to like reptile nerds. And um, it's amazing, right? Like if you were to listen to one of these podcasts, you're like, what are these guys talking about? But I love it, right? I even had shirts made and people want these shirts. So you'll sell them, give them, have giveaways for them. My point is, is that Alexa was so captivated by reptiles that she got me into it. And now a part of my life is living as a witness to my love for these reptiles that Alexa got me into. It's kind of weird, right? But I love it. I hope to get more people into reptiles and join these community of misfits and weirdos and drama. It's not very, it's not unlike the church at all. <laughs> There's a lot of misfits and weirdos and drama in the church. It's very similar. Um, think about other plant enthusiasts or um, uh, fish people or car people or people that like exercising, whatever it is, right? Or diehard sports fans, Warriors fans, always wearing their merch, talking about basketball and championships, the greatness of Steph Curry. Right? People live as witnesses to the dynasty of the Warriors. Whatever it is that has captivated your soul and that you're passionate about, it will direct how you live your life your words, your actions. 
You see, church, the Apostle Paul lived and breathed the gospel. Right? If you read his letters, you can feel his passion for Jesus. You can feel his love for the lost. You can feel his joy serving in the midst of persecution. You can feel his longing for glory and eternity with God. So Paul, he lives boldly as a witness, as a servant of God. He wants people to see the power of the gospel through his life. So we ask ourselves here at IGC, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, how much has the grace of God captured your heart? Or as Paul is concerned about, how much has the gospel fallen on deaf ears and has been preached to you in vain? So the first call to action for us here at IGC is to listen to the simplicity of the gospel of God's grace and love. Sunday after Sunday, community group after community group, meetup after meetup, day after day in your devotionals. Let the gospel capture your soul and stir your heart and move you to live lives of witness and worship for Jesus, just like it did for the Apostle Paul. You know, just like I've grown in love with these animals and the community surrounding that and making good friends, just like many people have grown in love with all the random niche weird hobbies, Whatever else it is you're passionate for, the question as followers of Jesus is, have you grown in love with Jesus and his church so much that it propels you forward to live lives of witness to the love of God? But now we ask, how does this life of gospel witness look? This brings us to our second point, life as a paradox. Uh, Let's look now to verse 4 to 10. Let me read it one time for us, uh, one more time for us. Verse 4 says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, like Paul is listing his uh, uh, calamities now, right? By great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. And then he lists his blessings. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors, and yet we are true. As unknown, yet well-known. As dying, and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. So remember the people in the Corinthian church, they rejected Paul, his message, because he was just constantly suffering. They saw this as a sign of weakness, as a sign of disfavor from God. Instead, the Corinthians valued success, reputation. They looked to leaders that were more put together, charismatic, eloquent. They see Paul all grimy and dirty and ghetto looking. He's all beat up and in prison. He's always suffering. He's always sick. I forget if I read this in the commentary or elsewhere, but I heard he also wasn't a good preacher either. That makes it tough, right? But Paul loves this church. He loves this church that he started, and so he pushes back on them. They continue to give him lip, just like kids do to their parents, and he urges the Corinthian church to not receive the gospel in vain. And he says his very life testifies and validates the gospel message. 
And then he gives an example of the reality of living a life of paradox as a servant of God. He shows us these traits and characteristics of what living life in this countercultural, upside-down, already-not-yet-kingdom looks like. He lays it out. He's been beat up in prison. He suffered various afflictions and hardships. He suffered hunger, sleepless nights. He's also experienced blessing, right? Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, love, truthful speech. He says all of these hardships he has endured by the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. He desperately wants the Corinthian church to understand that a lot of the reality of Christian living, gospel living, gospel ministry, it looks different in this broken world. The Christian life will be marked with joy, yes, but with also a lot of suffering. There's a lot of heartache and ugliness. There's also a lot of blessing and beauty. Right? It's not all butterflies and happy meals and multi-million dollar churches that can hire the best talent, cater to all your needs. Right? The goal is not the big show. The goal is faithful gospel preaching, faithful gospel living, no matter the hardships, no matter what disaster comes. So Paul is highlighting this in these verses. This applies to us whether we're talking about the church as a whole or even in our individual lives. I've shared this before, but um, when I felt called to uh, explore and eventually pursue seminary and ministry back in 2010, 2011, uh, that's when I started coming here to IGC. Um, Jung and I, we were interns here here um, at IGC, and my brother Wade, he was very encouraging about it. But he also said this. He said, ministry will be the hardest thing that I will ever do. And I remember very vividly, I was, I was pretty naive. I literally told myself, there's no way it's that hard. Come on. Like, I'm pretty okay with people. It's, it's not that hard, right? How hard can it really be teaching people about the gospel, being excited about it, getting coffee and meals together, having fun and laughing? It's all grand all the time. How hard is it to build up churches, plant churches, serve the cities, make disciples along the way, being cared for by fellow brothers and sisters that constantly pray for you, always have your back. It sounds so fun and exciting, right? I look back at the time and think, man, I knew nothing. Even now, 12 years later, I really don't know that much. Compared to Paul's ministry and his list of difficulties, most of us probably have it relatively easy. That doesn't mean what we have gone through isn't heartbreaking. God knows your hurt. He knows the depth of your pain. He sees you. And for me, man, ministry wrecked me. There were overall blessings and many good and beautiful God-glorifying things that I've had the privilege to experience and witness. Weddings, baptisms, discipleship, evangelism, spiritual growth, reconciliation, seeing God work so faithfully in so many people's lives there are also some very rough things that I'm learning to deal with that really messed me up and discouraged me in ministry. You see, church, paradox. There's beauty. There's ugliness. There's joy. There's sorrow. It's neither all sunshine and good times nor just gloom and doom. I'm just more of a gloom and doom guy, and I'm learning. (laughs) There are both things in varying seasons interwoven in our lives. It's normal. It's not right, but it's normal on this side of heaven. You know, this passage is a very important one to understand because if you are a Christian, or even if you're not a Christian yet, but you're just exploring Christianity, 
This shows us the reality of what to expect. It gives us proper expectations of Christian life and church life. For example, if you were expecting this morning that I was going to preach a 30-minute sermon, but I ended up talking for 120 minutes, you'd probably get mad, you'd leave, you'd never come back, right? And so Paul tells us these actual struggles, these actual hardships are expected. He says, don't be surprised. There's no doubt that many of us here in this room have been discouraged in faith while serving in the church, in the ministry context, whether as a layperson or vocationally. Perhaps you've even questioned faith and the reality of God and the gospel because you had such a traumatic experience. Maybe your faith experience has been so bad that you're ready to leave the church. You're ready to throw baby Jesus out with a dirty church bathwater, right? You just want to toss it all and run away from it, right? But now here, we are given proper expectations of what faith and church is in our passage. So I want to encourage all of us and myself to not give up on furthering the gospel. Don't give up on the work that you guys are doing here at IGC. I'm not just talking about the pastors and the leaders. Church, I'm talking to each one of us sitting in a chair, whether you've been here at IGC since the beginning, whether it's your first time here at IGC looking for a church, whether you're serving in a role, whether you're not, this applies to all of us. However bad or discouraging it is living and serving in any ministry context, don't give up. Rest, yes, rest, but don't give up. Churches may fail and disband for whatever reason, but the call to each one of us is not give up. This paradoxical life is expected. You know, I can say this very boldly because Paul is showing us in this very passage that this is the the reality of ministry, of gospel living, Christian living. You know, Lauren and I, we've... um, joked about this throughout the years, and we said, oh, if you don't want to see the ugliness of church or in all the drama, you know, just just don't get involved. <laughs> just consume and leave, right? And obviously, we don't believe that people should do this as common practice. Um, yes, rest, but um, people should be serving. But the reality is, is that church and faith are messy. It's explicit in not just this text, but throughout Scripture. We can't give up the gospel because lives are at stake. The the glory of God is at stake. So Paul, he shows us there's storms up ahead. But it's funny though, right? It's it's one of those things where, you know, we know life is hard. We know marriage is hard. We know work is going to be tough. We might get fired and we might lose all our stocks and all our money. We, We know things are difficult. And yet, once those things come... Man, we are so distraught. We're so discouraged. But we know troubles are unavoidable. And so we remind each other that these storms are not unexpected. The real biblical gospel shows us 100% how messed up life in the broken world is, how we will experience very difficult things. But the gospel also shows us that God is making all things new. Right? It shows us there's so much beauty There's so much glory, even in small snippets here on earth, but ultimately in fullness in the future. Church, this life is a paradox. A quick side note. 
I want to be very careful, right? In no way do I say that uh, we should just let pa- we should just passively let bad things happen, um, just because it's to be unexpected, right? If bad things are happening in church, we should all speak up. We should all speak up. We should all call it out. If people won't listen, you're being gaslit. You need to find other trusted people, godly men and women, to come alongside you to speak to those situations. A pastor, a mentor that I had for a couple years, he told me that one can serve faithfully and give God glory without having to endure bad things unnecessarily. Right? Basically, if you can fix it, try to fix it. Um, don't just suffer for the sake of suffering because you think it's the godly thing to do. There's a lot of wisdom that needs to be worked through in these tough situations. Looking back at our verses, though, Paul, he continues writing down his list of paradoxical traits. Let me just highlight verse 10. He says this. This is, uh, this is how we are to live. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Right? This line has legit anchored my faith from the start of ministry back then up to now. And in this very short time, We've seen, even publicly, um, in, in other churches, um, a lot of public, prominent church leaders and churches, they fall into scandal. Right? I think I could count over half a dozen highly regarded church leaders who had their shady moments. And even for us in our smaller churches, man, we've all gone through some very tough times. And this line of being sorrowful yet always rejoicing has pointed me back to Jesus. Yes, you may suffer some really bad church trauma. Yes, your community of people that you thought had your back may slander you and abandon you. Yes, your spouse may neglect you and cheat on you. Yes, those close to you may die tragically. Yes, your children may turn on you. Yes, you might lose your job, your livelihood. Yes, you might lose your friends just because you love Jesus. Yes, you may suffer physical illness. Yes, you may have really bad depression and suffer from mental illness. Yes, so many bad things. This is sorrow. This is tragedy. This is heartache. This is affliction. This is calamity. This is painful. But the gospel says we are sorrowful, but what? Always rejoicing. We've heard this uh, popular line before, right? Hurt people hurt people. Or sorrow begets sorrow. Misery begets misery. But the Bible shows us something different. You are sorrowful, but you don't burn things down. You rejoice. You're sorrowful, but you don't take revenge. You rejoice. You're sorrowful, but you don't hold grudges. You forgive and you rejoice. You're sorrowful, but you don't hate. You don't let the bitterness eat your heart. You love and you rejoice. You are sorrowful, but you don't blame God. You trust and you rejoice. Does this mean that we just put on a smile and suppress the sorrow? No, absolutely not. It says we are both sorrowful and yet we still rejoice. We rejoice because God tells us that every single thing is going to be made right once again one day. But how do we find joy in such sorrow? This is something that is absolutely supernatural. This cannot come from your own willpower. This can only come from the power of God and the gospel that has captivated our hearts 
We're captivated by his love, his glory, his beauty. This brings us to our last point. Life as a child of God. What I like about this passage is that it teaches us the reality of the grittiness of living in a fallen world. And it also gives us so much hope. And it's not a temporary hope. It's an eternal hope. It's not like my passion for random niche hobbies or your passion for random niche hobbies. Those things cannot save us from ourselves. There's only one passion and one love that is everlasting. That is Jesus. And so we ask like we should, why is Jesus worth living for? It's because Jesus lived for us first. He lived this paradoxical life on earth already for us. He gave us everything so that we can experience his goodness. Verse 9 and 10 says this. Paul calls us to live as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing but possessing everything. And we can live like this because Jesus, the King of glory, became a nobody on earth so that we could be somebody, so that we could be well-known and well-loved by our Heavenly Father. Jesus died the death that we deserve so that we could live eternally. Jesus gave up his heavenly glory. He became poor and he had nothing on earth so that we could have riches in his eternal kingdom. Jesus who lived in eternal glory, in eternal joy, he gave it all up for us on the cross. He became sorrowful so that we could experience an everlasting joy in him that will never fade. One verse before our passage starts, 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is a passage that, uh, a verse that most of you have heard many times before. For our sake, he made him to be, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God gave us his perfect son to take on all of our sin, to forgive us on the cross, so that in Jesus we are righteous, we are perfect, we are beautiful, we are known, and we have been given everything. We experience all this goodness, like Wade said, not because we are good, but because God is good to us. So you see, church, in Jesus, we already have everything that we need. We simply need to remember this gospel. We need to rest in it. When you are hurting, when you're down and out, you simply need to rest in this truth and have your heart moved again and again by the love of God. And so IGC, rest in this gospel. Rest as children of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are just amazed that you love us an undeserving people. What amazing love and amazing grace that you could would come down and see our messiness and brokenness. You could see our bickering. 
You can see our sin. See all our scandals. You see all our pain, our hurt. You see all our trauma. And you meet us. And we confess, Father, that we don't always see it. We don't always feel you. Sometimes all we have are your words. And sometimes we feel like that's not good enough. Forgive us. Help us to know, Father, that we have an eternal treasure. We have everything in our hands through your word. You have given us everything through your Holy Spirit. And still we bicker. Still we cry. Still we complain. Still we want to give up. Forgive us, Father. Remind us again that it's not about us. It's about you and the gospel. It's about your glory. But comfort our hearts, Father. Soothe our souls. Help us to know that we are loved even when nobody else loves us. Help us to know that we are known even when nobody else knows us. And may that be enough for us. But that is everything that we need. That is all we need. So teach us again of this gospel. We thank you for Christ that makes us new, that gives us our worth, our purpose. Give us a longing like Paul had for heaven, for glory. We need you, Father. Be with IGC, all its members. Comfort them in their pain. Be with them in their joys. And God, we pray, God, that you would move powerfully through each of our lives. Remind us that we are loved and that nothing else should matter. We thank you for Christ. Amen.